You are listening to audio from Hyde Park Baptist Church. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit hydepark.church. start this morning, let's pray. God, I thank you for Celebrate Recovery. I thank you for the work that it's doing in my life and in this community and in this church and and in the world. Um, But God, help us today to understand the gospel as it is for more than what we've made it to be. God, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I want to start today with a question. The question is, is Christianity Anything more than a moral betterment program? Is this Bible, the totality of everything that is written in this book, that is promoted by this book, is it written only that you and I might become better people who make better choices to affect a change towards a better world? Is this simply saying, be a good person? And the majority of sermons being preached this morning all across the globe most of them have at their purpose or as their goal or their focus the hearer becoming a better person but that's it nothing more some preachers even promote the idea that uh, you are already a good person you might need to make some better choices but you're already a good person at the core at the heart you're essentially a good person but of course we know this is not biblical at all right Uh, We know from Paul's teaching in Romans that there is no one good, that all have fallen short of the glory of God. So teaching from the pulpit that you're already good is bad enough. But in my opinion, and uh, something that I've been learning, even worse than that and more damaging than that is teaching that you can be good. Now, don't turn me off yet. I know that sounds weird, right? Um, But it's this idea that be a good person and God will love you for that, right? Well, first of all, let me pause here for just a second to let you know that most of what I'm going to share with you today, I've gleaned from a particular um, documentary, a very well-produced documentary called American Gospel, Christ Alone. And uh, you can find more about that at AmericanGospelFilm.com. And they didn't pay me to say that. But uh, it is an excellent, excellent uh, documentary. And I encourage you to, actually, I ask that you please go watch this video. It is very, very eye-opening and well worth your time. So, just be a good person. Why is this such a bad teaching? Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't try to be good, of course. But hear me out. To teach people just be good is to give them a goal that can never be attained. Listen to Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. What does he say about being good? In Matthew 5.10, Jesus says, Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, then you can't inherit the kingdom of heaven. Well, the scribes and Pharisees, you know, those, those... those were the real law keepers, right? They knew the law. They knew every T that was crossed, every I that was dotted. They lived the law day in and day out, and they knew the law. But yet Jesus is saying, unless your righteousness surpasses them, then you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. 
And then he continues to teach on a few different subjects where he says, you have heard it said, but then I say, right? Uh, some of those subjects are murder and anger and lust and divorce and oaths and retaliation, a couple other things. But um, basically at the end of that little section, Jesus says, let me just sum it up for you because this is easier to just cover everything. And for what he says is that be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. So over here, he starts by saying, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And then over here, he says, be perfect, just as God is perfect. That's some bar, isn't it? He has set the bar, and only Jesus can set that bar. So when we preach and when we teach that you can be good, there's really only two responses to that, pride or despair. And we can hear both of those responses in one particular story that we commonly refer to as the rich young ruler. Now, you remember this story, uh, this rich young man, uh, ruler, uh, leader, whatever, he, he comes to Jesus and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? Jesus's response is, why do you call me good? There is only one who is good, but keep the commandments. And so the young man replies and says, well, which commandments? And Jesus goes down a list of a couple's commandments and, uh, you know, love your neighbor as yourself, love God above everything else. And then basically says, uh, do these things. And the young man's reply is pride when he says what? Of these I have kept. All of these I have kept. He's basically saying, I've just, I've, I've been able to keep all the commandments, right? So Jesus just said, number one, that, that there's only one good who is God in heaven. And then this young man says, oh, and me too, right? So pride is one of the responses. But the second response is despair. And we can, uh, we can hear this in the rest of the story because he says, oh, I've done all these things, but what do I still lack? And Jesus' response to that is um, you, you need to sell everything you have and give the money to the poor, and the concept there, Jesus knowing everything, he is challenging the man at his, uh, at his source of identity, which is his wealth. And what does the man do? In despair, he walks away. Basically says, I can't do that. How many of us has felt, have, have felt that way? I, I try to be good, but I just can't. Or maybe I've tried to give that up or start that or uh, finish that or whatever it might be, but I just can't. I'm not strong enough, I guess. I can't. That's despair. We can also hear that in the story of Isaiah uh, when he comes face to face with uh, God in Isaiah 6. And uh, his first words are, woe is me, I am ruined, right? Isaiah comes face to face with the epitome of goodness. And his response is despair. Because that's the thing. The heart is totally opposed to God. By our very nature, everything that we are on the inside, we are rebels to God. Romans 3, 10 through 11 says, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. See, the gospel isn't just about changing your bad actions to good actions. No, the gospel is about changing who you are at the core. It's about addressing that rebel directly. 
In John 3.16, we all know that's probably our favorite verses, right? And it says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. In my studies uh, for the sermon today, I ran across something I'd never heard before. Uh, in, in my time as a Christian, uh, I became a Christian when I was 15, but my whole life I've thought of God so loved the world. The world I've thought of as this little green and blue ball in the middle of this galaxy in the middle of nowhere universe, right? And uh, all the people and all the things on that world, God loved the world so much, right? But there's a connotation to that word world that blew my mind. And it says, basically, those who rebelled against God. So if we change that and we say, God so loved those who rebelled against him that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Gives a new meaning to that verse, doesn't it? See, there's a major problem with this idea of just be good. How can this sinful man, how can this rebel, how can he be, uh, be reconciled to a just God whose justice demands that he punish us for our sinfulness, for our rebellion? Well, the answer, of course, is in Jesus Christ. God stepping into flesh to enter into and engage with humanity directly. You know, he lived the perfect life that no one else in all of time, future or past, could live. You know, we owed a debt to God because of our sin, and that debt was to suffer eternal punishment for our rebellion. But on the cross, God himself and Jesus Christ took our place. He took all of our sin upon himself. He suffered the wrath of God. He paid the debt that we owed, and he died the death that we had earned. But thank goodness, three days later, he rose from the grave in victory over death and over sin. And he ascended into heaven, and he took his rightful place at the right hand of the Father as the only way that we may be reconciled to God. He said it himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way. Paul says it also in 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6, there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men. You see, he paid the price for reconciliation. Jesus rebuilt the bridge between the holy and the rebel that was lost in the garden. So you've probably all heard the term before justification or justified. Probably one of the simplest things I've ever heard. It's kind of silly in some ways, but justified, just as if I'd never sinned. Have you heard that before? So justified, just as if I'd never sinned. Well, the, the doctrine of justification means just that, that, that God declares us righteous even though we are guilty of sin. It's the doctrine of justification by faith alone in Christ alone. A.W. Tozer, I encourage you to read anything that he writes, but uh, he, um, he wrote this uh, particular um, quote, and I think it says it very well. It is by grace that God imputes merit where none previously exist existed, and he declares no debt where, to be where one had been before. You know, Jesus didn't come to make salvation possible 
for those who do their part. He came to accomplish salvation completely and to give it freely to those who would believe. Ephesians 2 and 8, 2, 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, so that no man can boast. You see, every other religion on the planet has this, uh, uh, has this equation to it. Faith plus works equals salvation or nirvana or uh, whatever their end goal is, right? Faith plus works equals salvation. Not only must you have faith in what they're teaching and what their belief system is, but you must also accompany that faith with actions, with good actions that uh, allows you to produce or purchase or earn your salvation or whatever their end goal is, right? Well, Christianity is different. Christianity's equation is more like this. Faith equals salvation plus works. Now, often when we hear, the, uh, hear that James talks about, uh, you know, faith without works is dead, uh, a lot of people have misinterpreted that to mean faith plus works. And uh, that faith being accompanied by action brings about God's salvation to me. But if you look at the context of James as, long, as well as the rest of Scripture, we understand that faith, true faith, is not belief plus works results in salvation, but instead faith results in salvation. And this salvation is determined to be true as exemplified in good works. So good works don't produce salvation. Instead, salvation produces good works. Listen to Ezekiel 36, 25 and 27, 25 through 27. And this is God speaking through his prophet. It says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You know, God accomplished salvation through Christ, and when we believe this to be true, that faith then results in obedience. The law, what the scribes and Pharisees believed in, the law says do. Do this, don't do that, um, whatever, and maybe you'll earn God's favor. And maybe you'll tip those scales in the end and you'll receive his salvation. So the law says do, but the gospel says done. You know, it's not, the gospel is not what would Jesus do, now go do that. Instead, the gospel is what has Jesus done, now believe that. It's relationship. It's relationship first, and in that relationship, it produces obedience. You know, we don't have a relationship with God because we obey. We obey because he has made a relationship with us, right? Now, I heard this little analogy, and I think it's an excellent one. Um, you know, the moral commands that uh, we should obey are, are kind of like railroad tracks, uh, the tracks for the train, right? And as the train is going, this railroad tracks, this is the way that the train is supposed to go. But the gospel is the engine. It's the fuel that actually makes 
it possible for the train to move down the tracks. So it really does a Christian no good and does a non-Christian no good to just continue teaching, hey, here's the tracks, now go. But if they have no fuel, if they have no engine, they're just going to be stuck trains on the track. And there are a lot of Christians out there today, and maybe some of you, who feel stuck. You're just trains sitting on a track being told, go forward, be good. But you're not being given the engine, or they're not being given the engine, or any fuel to actually begin moving forward on the tracks. Do you feel like that train's stuck? I know I've been there before. You know, we too often only think of the gospel as it relates to a non-believer coming to faith in Christ and earning salvation or gaining salvation. But it's so much more than that. You know, the gospel is not something we ever graduate from. It's not something we ever move on from. The gospel should be central to everything. Uh, the gospel should be infused into every aspect of our lives and into every fiber of our being what he has accomplished for us. For our salvation, it should be the engine that drives us. It should be the fuel that inspires us. You know, like the old uh, gospel hymn, we're prone to forget, aren't we? Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. You know, we're prone to forget who he is. We're prone to forget who we are not. We're prone to forget what he's done for us. See, this book... This Bible, it's not, it's not about you becoming a better person. It's not about transforming your normal daily activity from bad to good. What this book teaches is not a moral betterment program. What this is, it's the story of God's unfolding plan throughout all of history to restore this broken relationship with the creation that rebelled against him so long ago. That story is the gospel, and that is what Celebrate Recovery is about. You know, CR is not just about developing sobriety from drugs and alcohol. Celebrate Recovery is not just about dealing with anxiety or depression. It's not just about coping with PTSD or anger. It's not just about fighting codependent tendencies. It's about the gospel. It's about allowing the gospel to change people from the inside out. That new heart. That new life. And from there, we can see changes in actions and activities as people begin to obey the God that has changed their heart from the inside out. That's my favorite thing about Celebrate Recovery is it is a Christ-centered program. Now, yes, you can come to Celebrate Recovery and you can get some help without ever coming to Christ. You can learn a few things here and there um, and the gospel never affect you. And you might, you know, uh, gain a little bit of sobriety from this or that or whatever. But we believe that the true sobriety that you earn is that reconciliation that comes through the gospel. And that reconciliation is what allows you and gives you the fuel and becomes the engine that helps you to stay on those tracks and to not go to the left or right. And so some of you may be here this morning and uh, I, I may have explained the gospel a little bit differently than you've heard it, or maybe you've never heard it like that before. 
the probably the the easiest way I think is uh, just to explain it to the way the vacation Bible Bible school usually does. That's the ABCs. You know, A, admit. So the first thing you would want to do is admit that you're a sinner. Admit that you've done it your own way and that you that that doesn't work. Admit that you need to turn around and repent and turn back towards God. B stands for believe. Believe that Jesus is God's son. Believe in all these things that he's done for us to purchase our salvation. And C could either be confess or commit. Confess your faith in God. Commit your life to him. Uh, Make him the Lord of your life. And it can be done with simple prayer, just using those three things. Admit, believe, and confess. There's no special words or anything that makes that happen. So if that's something you need to do, we'd love to talk to you more about that this morning. But maybe you're one of those trains that's stuck. Maybe you're spinning your wheels. You know, the the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result, right? The gospel, it may be what you're missing. You may be missing that engine, that fuel that helps you move down the tracks to stay on that plan that God has designed for you. So I encourage you to bring the gospel back into the center of your life. It's not just about lost people coming to Christ. It is that. But it's also for us as Christians, as believers, the gospel is that strength, it's that fuel, it's that, um, that engine that allows us to move forward in life. So I pray that uh, one of those two things is something that you need this morning. And I pray that if CR can help you with either of those things, that you'll come talk to me or any of us that have these shirts on with Celebrate Recovery. We'd love to share with you more. Let's pray together. God, I thank you that we can come into your presence. That we have the opportunity to be here today. To hear from you. To be reminded of you and all that you've done for us. I pray that you'd help us all to understand what it is that we need to do. What it is that will help us to move, move on those tracks, to move down those tracks of our life. And God, I pray that you'd uh, help those who may not believe in you today to understand that gospel a little bit better. And God, today, just help us to bring everything we've got to you because we know that you're the only one that can, that can help us. God, we love you. We thank you for all that you've done for us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this week's sermon. For more information about Hyde Park Baptist Church, please check out our website, hydepark.church, or on social media on Facebook and Instagram, at Hyde Park Baptist.